This episode of the Lane One Podcast is sponsored by the Quintana Running Company. Q Running has been empowering individuals and the community through running since 2016. Learn more at www.qrunningco.com. That's www.qrunningco.com. Now let's go for a run. Friends of the Lane One podcast, we're back with another episode. This conversation, we sat down with Lale Castellanos, and we learned about her origin story and how she went from running to the triathlon distances. She's completed uh, one full Ironman and several halves, and uh, she's got quite the stout racing schedule this year, as you'll hear. And we also learned about one of the initiatives that she's working on called Swim, Bike, Run for Equality. It was in response to a lot of the conversations around race that have become very prevalent over the last year, and her community of athletes and runners and swimmers and and bikers wanted to do something as a as a way to um, as a way to kind of create more dialogue or opportunity for dialogue where folks could really speak their truth. And learn from each other. So that was a really great conversation or part of the conversation. So I hope you guys take away something from that and, and maybe become reflective about where we're at, where we are in our society and just how race continues to be one of those issues that um, that unfortunately isn't going to, to be solved anytime soon. Um, but overall, great conversation. And, uh, and also, you know, as a, she's a Latina and so and she's in Texas, we talk tortillas. Because that's what you do when you're from Texas, and uh, and and we talk about tortillas. So with that, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Again, follow us at Lane One on Instagram. Also follow uh, Q Running on Instagram, and spread the word, and keep listening, and enjoy it. And if you got any suggestions, hit us up either on Instagram or you can reach me at Coach Q at QRunningCo.com. Enjoy the episode. Let's go for a run. All right, well, it's showing it's recording. So uh, here's Rogelio Quintanar, Coach Q, and I'm here with Lali Castellanos who has graciously um, agreed to be on the Lane One podcast today. And we're, we've got uh, quite the uh, items that we're going to be talking about. And, uh, but first, what I wanted to, to kind of highlight a little bit is just kind of in our day and age, and especially with the pandemic, how we've been making connections with people in our niches, in our corners of the world. And, you know, our experience is kind of falls under that umbrella in that, you know, the pandemic hit, which a year ago today, 
right? right. And, you know, we decided, or I decided that, okay, this is going to be an opportunity. You know, our, all of our, our races that we're producing are suspended or postponed. We're not sure what's happening. So I kind of turned inward and said, okay, what can I do? I'm going to get my website updated. I'm going to do all these things, right? The other thing I wanted to do, and I was very strategic about it, was, okay, I need to connect with folks, liked folks, like-minded folks. I already have a pretty good connection with folks um, in the Facebook world, social media world that are connected through running, endurance, athlete sports, and stuff like that. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, I made a couple of connections on Facebook and then, you know, like you popped up, you know, with that little feed that says you might know this person and, mm -hmm. you know, it's showing all these people running and on bikes and I don't know what I was doing differently before where in my feed, I wouldn't have that. And then all of a sudden it was there. And so, you know, I just thought, well, I mean, I'm going to send a request. The worst they can do is not accept it. Just say no. Right. That's and right. then you, you accepted. And, you know, I saw that you're a runner, triathlete, you're an educator, Tejana. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, there were a lot of these connections. And I was like, you know, I have not seen a lot of people of color, but specifically Latinas in endurance sports. Or, right. or, or let, me, let me put it a different way. They're, they're not as visible and I'm looking for it, right? I mean, we right. know Des, Lyndon, mm -hmm. she's up there. She's, you know, obviously, you know, at the top of her game, an Olympian and, you know, Latina and, and doing great things. And there's other folks in the sport but it's very small. So immediately I was like, okay, I've got to connect. I got to learn more about what's happening here. And so mm -hmm. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you, Lali, to hear about your journey sure. into endurance sports and what it's been like for you to be, to be a, you know, a Latina in, in this, in this, in this craziness. <laughs> well, it's definitely crazy, right? So thank first, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, it was, you know, when you get uh, random requests, especially during the pandemic, you always have to do your research, right? Absolutely. Um, so typically um, my MO when I get requests like that is, I, I mean, I will go down that rabbit hole to look at someone's profile. You Background know, check. The female. I mean, it kind of typecasts the female a little bit to say that, right? And it's, it's um, a blanket statement. Sure. Really, honestly, you know, it's, it's going down someone's profile. Okay, we have so many friends in common you know, do I see something that we have in common right away? Um, who do we have in common? That's another big right, thing. Right, right. Um, and if I don't, honestly, this is just my thing. If I don't see something that we connect to, or if I immediately something that's, see something that's off-putting, it's a hard no. And it's, it's uh, sometimes, depending on what the content I see, it'll just be a, a hard no, and then sometimes it'll be an outright block um, oh. person, you know, trying to creep back in. Right. So, um, so yeah, it was, a, it was an easy connection for you and I to make, cause we did have a lot of people in common and we have endurance sports in common. So um, I specifically started with endurance sports. Oh man. in like 2009 probably is when I started with running. And what got you, what was the inspiration for that? So great question. I um, was in graduate school at the time and um, it was that or therapy. <laughs> so uh, ever, you know, that's the big joke, right? Running's cheaper than therapy, but right. no, really, like the, the rigors of graduate school. And I had 
I had transitioned into a new job. Um, I went from the classroom as a classroom first grade teacher um, into an academic facilitator position where I was in charge of um, all academic programs on my campus. I was in charge of curriculum and instruction. I was in charge of professional development. I was in charge of monitoring kids that were in special programs that were struggling academically. So it was like a, a really big shift from my tiny little microcosm of a classroom to now assisting with 600 kids at an mm. elementary school uh, grades K through three, right? K, uh, kinder through third. So that coupled with graduate school, and it was it was quite a bit of traveling because I, I at the time I worked on the southeast side of San Antonio, and I was going to school in San Marcos. Oh wow! And, um, yeah, it was a hour and a half drive, something like that. And you're in San Antonio right now, correct? Right, I am okay. in San Antonio. Uh huh. So I it was it was a pretty long drive for me, you know, <laughs> way. So yeah. there's a lot of stress that kind of comes with that. Um, so really it was about finding the outlet, right? And I was not a runner in high school. I played tennis in high school. So if anybody knows anything about tennis, it's small, short bursts, right? right. And uh, we did running for conditioning. And every time we would you know, run behind the trees or behind the building, and even though we could see our coach was kind of like off at a distance, we would walk <laughs> because we didn't really, we didn't really <laughs> on him to see us walking. But I mean, it was, that was just not something that I enjoyed, but going into this, um, I, I really did find that, okay, this is my, this is my alone time. This is my time to kind of decompress. It exhausts you so much that it kind of untangles the thoughts going on in your brain, right? Anybody that's a runner sure. will definitely identify that with that. So I went from uh, short 5Ks. I remember my first 5K. It was a local race out in Cibolo, Texas. What was it? What was it called? It was called, I think it was called the Buffalo Run. Okay. The Cibolo, maybe the Buffaloes. I could be right. But anyhow, it was a local fundraiser. So it was like in a neighborhood. It wasn't, you know, anything major. It was literally like local um, downtown Cibolo. So I crossed the finish line. I was so excited. Like I'm screaming at everybody and telling everybody it was my first 5k. Cause I'm not a shy, quiet person. <laughs> and, uh, I'll never forget. I crossed that finish line. It was so early in the morning and I was so hungry because I didn't fuel for that. Right. I drank a large glass of orange juice and then just immediately got sick. <laughs> so note to self, don't do that. <laughs> um, so I transitioned from 5k's and you know, when you kind of get hooked on running, you go for the next goal, right? So I went from 5k to a 10k to a half marathon. And I thought, oh my God, a half marathon. Um, and at the time, because I didn't really know what I was doing, and a lot of times I still don't, I ended up joining um, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's team and training. Okay. And, um, did and that, that was for your, for your first marathon? That was for my first half. Oh, mm -hmm. first half. First half marathon. And that was here in San Antonio, San Antonio Rock and Roll. Okay. And then um, it was about that time, that was in 2010 is when I did my first half. So from 2009 to 2010, like I, I pretty much quickly revved up, right? Um, graduated from uh, graduate school, turned 40 something, I can't remember. <laughs> and then, or maybe I'm not telling you on purpose. Um, <laughs> And did my half marathon all in the month of December. So I had a birthday, I graduated and I ran my half marathon. So like, it was a big month for me. And so, um, go big or go home. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I kept on that path for a lot of years and I kept running distance running. And then come 2014, 13, 14, mm -hmm. I'm still training with Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's team in training. Um, I, at that time, was going through a very difficult time personally. Mm -hmm. um, and my then marathon coach, uh, Mary Kay Cooper, she's mm -hmm. amazing. She was like, hey, I really think you should give triathlon a go. I think you would like it. You really need to stay focused. This is going to be great for you. You know, uh, stress-wise, it's going to be another outlet. I don't think you should give up running, but I think you need something different. So she, you know, I told her, I was like, I don't, I don't like riding a bike, you know, <laughs> ridden a bike since I was 10, you know? And um, she really encouraged me. And I, I did, I jumped over to the triathlon team um, in 2014 and, and uh, um, did the capital of Texas triathlon and it was the Olympic distance in Olympic, Austin. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what was it? Do you remember what your coach, what did, what was it that she saw or what was it that, you know, kind of put the feather in her cap about you trying triathlon? Or um, I think she was more worried about me. Like, you know, for us as a team, I, so think about that. Mm -hmm. This was 2014 and I'd been with team and training since 2010. Okay. So we had built very close relationships. Some of those individuals I'm still very close with. And, you know, because she really walked that path with me and it was a very difficult path. Um, she knew that she knew, she just knew, she knew my personality. She knew my, the amount of stress I was under. Um, at that time, you know, big transitions obviously are a theme in my life. It seems like so at that time I had, um, gone through a separation. I had gone through, uh, trying to re reconciliate. We, in the, in the process, we miscarried it, I mean, it was a lot. Yeah. yeah. And then subsequently we ended up divorcing and I started a new position as an educational leader, all within a six month time frame. Wow. And so because Mary Kay could see the writing on the wall, I think she really felt like she needed to keep me close. Yeah. Is that the best way for me to explain it? Yeah. And um, it was, I mean, I, I say it tongue in cheek a lot of time where I say triathlon saved my life, but really it, I mean, it kept me on a very straight and narrow path. Yeah. I want I to mean, say. It's, yeah. It sounds like the coach said running isn't enough. We need to find, exactly. you know, some other outlets to help you right. with these, like you said, these big transitions that you they were, were huge, huge yeah. life, life changes. And it was a very difficult season. And I mean, not season, like in the triathlon season, no, like no. season in my personal life. Right. Yeah. So, um, the, the whole challenge of trying something that frightened me, because think about that. I'd never done triathlon before. I hadn't been on a bike since I was 10. And you didn't like it. <laughs> Those kids that grew up with a bike, you know, it was like, it's a running joke in my family. My dad would be like, I'll get you a bike for your birthday. I'll get you a bike for Christmas. I'll get you a, you know, it never, it never materialized. So I was that little, I, I, I joke about it with my girlfriends, but I was like, I was that little Mexican kid running next to all the kids with the bikes, you know, cause I didn't afford one and couldn't afford one. And so I was just real fast. You know, um, but that's kind of how it, it, it worked out for me. And so doing something that was 
so out of my comfort zone, really, like I said, kept me really focused and centered. Um, so you responded to the challenge. Absolutely. I did. Absolutely. I did. And so, um, yeah, so my first, my first try was in 2014 and just like with running and most endurance athletes, and I use that term loosely for me, but with most endurance athletes, what we do is we look for the next challenge. Yeah. Or distance. So I started out with Olympics and I immediately went to a half to a half Ironman distance. So a 70.3 distance. And I was hooked, absolutely hooked. And so since then, you know, with a couple of sprints and Olympic distances, I've done probably maybe five half distances. Wow. Um, completed my first full in 2017 by the grace of God. And that was Arizona, and, right? Um, yeah. Ironman Arizona? Mm-hmm. Ironman Arizona. Uh huh. And this season for 2021, God willing, if everything plays itself out well with the pandemic, um, I've got four halves scheduled this year. <laughs> I know. What is wrong with that's you? fantastic? No, that's great. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that you can stay in the game and train and be able to put that on the calendar as a goal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, as a coach myself, I'm, 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 thinking, well, I hope she's got recovery planned into the, uh, into the equation, you know, because <laughs> recovery, rishmovery. No, really. I want to go back to something that you were talking sure. about, you know, when you were growing up and, you know, um, uh, you grew up where? I grew up in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, okay. right along the Texas border. Okay. Um, it, we call it the mid Valley. Okay. Which- funny because it's not a valley because it's very flat there's no mountains around there but still we call it the valley uh, it's a it's a it's a quandary um i grew up in west Lago, texas mm-hmm. um exactly the midpoint of the rio grande valley mm-hmm. um born and raised there my whole life mm-hmm. and, and the then, family the family has roots there or did the family yeah we have roots there so yeah so mom is originally Mom's originally from the Rio Grande Valley and she's okay. from Mexico, born and raised. Okay. And my dad is from Rio Bravo, Mexico. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, they met each other in high school and okay. love and all that jazz. <laughs> so, yeah. So we, we all grew up there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And growing up, um, was the family, you know, into athletics, you know, were they, you know, what was the, what was the family vibe like? So interestingly enough, we all had our own thing going on. Um, dad was, mm, dad was very much into golf. And okay. I think it was because he had that. So it's very social, right? Yeah. My dad was super social. Um, but dad played football in high school, okay. which we all kind of giggle at because he doesn't seem like the, the football player type, but he played football in high school. Uh, my mom was in band at marching band in high school. Um, what did she play? She played, ugh, I want to say she played the clarinet. Okay. Could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Um, both were farm workers. Okay. Um, you know, as mm-hmm. uh, all growing up, they were farm workers. Like mom talks about it and bless my mom's heart. She will not eat a tomato. She will not eat watermelon. She hates the smell of onions because wow. that picked growing up. Right. Um, 
and uh, she looks at cotton and like her fingers start to sting because she also picked cotton, you know, as uh, when she was younger. Um, she's got some real fascinating stories, honestly. Um, I, I would love to. Have, yeah, love about hard working. Yeah, yeah, she's she's really great. So, um, so that's kind of how they grew up. And then when we were in school, they kind of, you know, encouraged us to find our own thing. And so my oldest brother played golf. Um, my second oldest brother did baseball for a while and he was also in band. He played percussion. And then they, you know, at the time, back a long time ago, they couldn't figure out how to balance both programs. So my brother had to choose and he chose band. Um, my sister, uh, she's a character too. She was the mascot for a lot of years and then she became a cheerleader and she became the head cheerleader. Um, and then there was me, like, I didn't want to do any of those things that anybody else in my family did. So I, I did, I, I chose tennis and, um, that was kind of my path, you know, going through high school, junior high and high school. But you guys were active. It sounds that family was active. Yeah, we, we were as active as possible. Yeah. Sure. sure. Mm -hmm. So you said you play tennis. So do you play tennis as an adult now? No. <laughs> Toss the rest. It's a little, right? it's shameful. It's so shameful. It's... I did try to go play tennis with my dad one time because, you know, my dad's very nostalgic. In his... uh... So he's like, Mija, let's go play. <laughs> I was like, great. We had no rackets and no tennis balls. So we, we, you know, we wrangled some up and we went to the local high school and I will never forget my dad just, you know, in, in just back forth play, right. He hits the ball. Of course I run quote unquote to it and I hit, but my wrists are so weak that as soon as I made contact, like my tennis racket flew backwards. Flew backwards. Yeah. So I was like, this is, this is very telling. I was like, this is going to be a short session, dad. I hate to tell you this, but <laughs> I mean, it was fun, you know, um, yeah. it, yeah, it's definitely, I wish I did, but you know, really honestly, if I had to choose, I, I love what I do right now with yeah. track. Yeah. Sure. Sure. But I asked because it sounds like the family was active in, in, yeah. it was, just, it was an active family. So I'm yes. not surprised to see that you're attracted to the activities that you're involved with now, because even though you're not playing tennis or in the band or whatever, Right. You had an active family that, that translated now into you being active. You know, there was a seed there, I guess is what right. I'm saying, you know? Yeah. You know, and sadly I'm, I'm the only one that's still active. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm trying, you know, I keep well, you're doing four halves this year. So that covers, let's see, mom, dad. That covers everybody. Dad. That's one half for, <laughs> right. for each sibling. You're right. <laughs> you, you got it all covered. Um, mm -hmm. So, so you, 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 you dive in headfirst into the triathlon world, you mm -hmm. fall in love with, this is like, this resonated with you, this, yes. you, you captured lightning in a bottle for you and it's continued or, or, or I guess going back to your first Ironman, full distance Ironman, what was that mm -hmm. like? What was that? Because that was 216. You said big transition year was 2014, right? 14. Uh-huh. You know, so going, it's interesting. Um, and I'll talk, I talk about it with my marathon coach, um, Marissa. She and I went one year to go spectate at Ironman Texas. And that was in 2015, I think, that we went to spectate. 
And a bunch of uh, triathletes through team and training were doing Ironman Texas. That was the year the big storm blew in and it was crazy. And, you know, so we're out there to cheer, committed. We're going to stay till the end at midnight. Oh, it was a long day. But um, I literally have never experienced a finish line, like an Ironman finish line in my life, in my entire life. It is electric and loud and supportive and um, emotional incredibly and and even as a spectator it's emotional and you don't know any of these people coming through you know but you know that each person has their story mm-hmm. um especially now that I've done one I I can definitely resonate right um but so at that moment I remember looking over at Marissa because we were at the finish line and it was cold it was raining we were wearing garbage bags because we were so ill-prepared. We did not know it was going to change temperatures so quickly, but I looked over at her and I was like, doesn't this make you want to do this? And she goes, not even a little bit, you know? So I knew at the time that I caught the bug, you know, I did, I caught the bug and I had kind of secretly put it in my pocket and carried that around with me. Cause that's a big commitment to kind of throw out into the universe that you're going to do a full Ironman, right? And what if you fail and you know, all those things. So uh, come 2016, uh, around Thanksgiving when Arizona opens up, I remember sitting at my computer cause people had told me it sells out. And if you're not a volunteer. So typically if, if people aren't familiar with Ironman, for races that sell out rather quickly, if you volunteer at the race, at, at, so let's say I had volunteered in 2015. Correct. If if and when it opens up for registration in 2016, as a volunteer, I get first dibs. Okay, and because that race sells out so quickly, it's it it, it is highly encouraged if you want to do a big sellout race that you volunteer the year before. Right. Right. Um, I didn't do that. I didn't know that trick. So, so I literally sat at my computer and I hit refresh and refresh and refresh until it opened up. And then I quickly signed up because I had, like I had said in my brain, like I had decided to do this and uh, I hit enter and I got no confirmation, like, no, you are registered. Thank you for registering. You know, typically when you hit enter, something pops up or unless I just missed it because I was so freaked out. I was like, that's it? Like, am I in? What, what's going on, right? So I checked my email. Well, first I checked my bank account and I <laughs> the was pending. So I knew something was up. And then I checked my email and sure enough, it, it sent me the congratulatory email. And I was like, oh my. It just got real. God. Yeah, it just got real. So, um, so I did, I, but at that time I had already, I had left team and training. So I was a little bit worried because I wasn't real sure how am I going to, how am I going to do this? Like, I don't so you have- were, you, you were a solo, you were by yourself. I was flying solo a hundred percent. And just r- real quick, just, I'm, I know a little bit about the Ironman, um, you know, registration process, but did you have, you, you would, did you have to have completed a half before 
in no. order to you, you no, you, you can literally go from zero to a hundred. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, there's there's no um, qualification or anything like that. No, gotcha. not at all. So um, so yeah, so I, I get registered and I go through this process and I I learned rather quickly that yeah, one I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Um, but two, it, it kind of takes you through going through that season. Um, that in and of itself is really, a, a it's a, I call it my season of revelation mm-hmm. because uh, I'm not fast. I'll never be fast. So whenever I would train with individuals out on, on the course, like out here locally in San Antonio, I was typically last. I was the last swimmer. I was, well, not swimming is actually my favorite. And so like, I would come out about the middle, but I was always the last cyclist because I'm not fast. Remember I hadn't been on a bike since I was (laughs) good at it. So I was always the last cyclist and I was typically closer to the end when it came to running. So I, I spent a lot of time alone and it was probably the best thing that I could have experienced. Cause really it's that whole, so mind you, I'd gone through a couple of seasons of change. Mm-hmm. I hadn't really processed through any of that. Cause I was so good at like shoving it down into the depths of my soul, but this, like, there's no place to go because right. it, it is you, your own thoughts and God. Right. right? And so, um, so, so yeah, it was, it was a great experience. So, so the, the big transition year was 2014. Right. The, you registered fall of 2015, right? right? And so I registered fall of 2016 because that was oh, in okay. 2016. Gotcha. And then I compete in 2017. 2017. So I trained gotcha. for the better part of a year. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. 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 Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So when you register, when, when is race day in 2017? Like what was the, the training period that you had leading up to it from registration to race day? Well, so literally I, I, literally started in like December or January. Cause uh-huh. I, at the time our tri club, cause I, I joined a tri club cause I didn't, you know, again, I didn't really right. know I was flying solo and I knew I couldn't do this by myself. So at the time I joined Britain's Triforce here in San Antonio, um, they're run out of Britain's bicycle shop okay. in San Antonio. And, um, the tri captain, Charlie, um, you know, offered to coach me. And okay. so, he coached myself, he, he carries a small load of people, but he coached myself, he coached my friend Linda that um, at, up until a couple of weeks ago I was training with um, for Ironman Texas, but she at the time was training for Ironman Texas in 2017. And then um, there was somebody new to the group that I met through Britain's Triforce and that's um, Julie. And Julie decided she was gonna do Arizona. And so what happens a lot of times with triathlon is people like the clubs will get together and be like, okay, what race are we going to do this year? And we're all going to sign up and go together. Right. Because as a tri club, you get club points. And then at the end of the year, if you have the most points, you get an award. Right. Ah, so that's like a big that. deal. Yeah, okay. mm-hmm. uh, we didn't get that memo in 2017. Oops. <laughs> and I were the only ones doing Arizona. <laughs> from the whole group. Um, so yeah, so Charlie ends up helping me out, um, through 2016 into 17. And because he, I think he knew, well, I'm, I'm assuming because I was a novice at really doing any of this, 
he started me in, in December, January, and I literally trained for an entire year. Um, it was, it was. So the race took place in December of 2017? It took place in November of 2017. I think it was November 19th, if I'm gotcha. not Okay. So just before um, Thanksgiving. Weekend. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right before Thanksgiving, which was great for me as an educator. Cause I had like the whole week off. So like I could travel and, you know, take it easy. It was, it right. was kind of, kind of nice. Mm-hmm. So then you, 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 you join the club through, through the bike shop. Mm-hmm. You start your training. Yes. Um, did you fall back into a rhythm with the training? How did it go? What were the Yeah. So, um, as a coach, you know, this, you know, you put your workouts for your athletes, right? I don't know what you use, but we use training peaks. Okay. And- I use, I use final surge, but it, there's some, okay, but I'm sure it's similar. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Charlie would load my stuff into training peaks and it's literally like, um, training for dummies. Like it's there You just go execute it, you know, and, um, put your bathing suit on get in the pool. exactly <laughs> like today's a swim day and you're going to knock out 2,900 meters right, or is right. a you know, run day and you're going to run. So this is the biggest difference I learned. Um, this is going to be something interesting for your, your listeners that are runners and not triathletes, at least in our circle. Sure. He did, we train through time and not necessarily distance. So right. that's, probably the biggest transition I made from endurance running to track, right? So my marathon coach would be like, okay, you need to knock out 20 miles today, right? Because you're training for your full. And I was like, okay, so you just go 10 out and 10 back or whatever, however many loops. Um, With triathlon, it's literally, you have an hour and a half run today and you go as far as you can go. Mm -hmm. You have a six hour ride today, you go as far as you can go, you know, that kind of thing. Very rarely do they give you distance, although sure. there are some people that do train with distance, but that was probably the biggest transition that I had to make. Cause I was like, man, if I'm, I'm running for 30 minutes, I, I gotta go far. Cause if not, I'll never make it to the finish line. <laughs> so how did, what was the balance like as an educator? I mean, I know you've got, you sign up in November, you get Christmas break. Then you get a spring break, then you have summer break back into school. And then it's, it's, you know, race days right around the corner. How is that? How is that work-life balance? How is that work? Try life. Um, It's definitely a challenge. And I can tell you this, um, you know, as I, as I continue my training, that it's a constant conversation that I think we all have as endurance athletes. Mm -hmm. That's a huge question. When and how do you balance it all? I know a lot of athletes that I follow that wake up at three o'clock in the morning and they knock out their workout at the beginning of the day. Um, but they also go to bed at like eight o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night. Um, I'm more of a night person. Well, let me take that back. I'm a morning person, but I know that I would prefer to enjoy my morning (laughs) training probably. So I, you know, I get to work, you know, by, I have to be on campus by seven o'clock, especially now. So I have to be on campus by seven o'clock, go through my regular work day. I don't get home to about five, six o'clock. And then I have to be dog mom, you know, do all that stuff. And so I don't start my training till eight o'clock at night, seven thirty, you know, seven thirty, eight o'clock. Worst case, it'll be, you know, there've been times when I get to the gym at 11, you know, and, and knock it out. It's typically a swim, 
But, um, but yeah, this year, you know, with the pandemic and not wanting to get outside and um, not really wanting to be around people, um, I, I finally bit the bullet and invested in a NordaTrack because I needed, I, you know, I needed to get my running in it. Yeah. And running around here is not necessarily the safest thing at night for a female. So it was probably the best investment that I could make. Sure. Trainer. Mm-hmm. And uh, which, which Nordic, which, uh, which I have model? a 22i. Okay. Yeah. It's really gigantic. Yeah. It's half my living room. <laughs> um, I literally had to get rid of some furniture so I could fit it in here, but it's, yeah, it's totally worth it. Like, I'm so glad that I did it. My dog hates it, but you know, he, he he's fine with, like, he'll get over himself. <laughs> So you're, you're, I'm assuming though, you're, you're on a, um, like during the week, if you're not getting home at eight, you're not doing a six hour ride at night. Oh no. So typically long, long rides or long training days will be on the weekend. So, um, you do a lot of drill sets during the week, um, swim, bike or run or a combination thereof. And then Sunday, I mean, weekends, Saturdays and Sundays are going to be your long days. So as you get closer to a full distance event, I'm going back to, I'm thinking back to 2017, for example, you know, it's not uncommon to have wheels down at 730 Mm -hmm. and you knock out a six hour ride and then you have to go knock out a, a, you know, two hour run or whatever. So that's your, that's a work day. If you think about it. Right. And so, um, then, so then you come home and it's like, I'm not doing anything for the rest of the day. Don't even ask. Right. Um, and then it's the same thing on Sunday. So you have a long training day on Saturday, and then you have to turn around and do a long run on Sunday. So it eats up your weekends. And that, that was another big transition going from endurance running where you actually can carve out time for your personal life to training for an Ironman. Like literally that's all you do. You know, it just eats up so much of your time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Eat, sleep, eat, sleep, drink, Bike, run, eat, swim. Basically, yeah. basically, eat, sleep, train, eat, sleep, train, eat, sleep, train. Uh, I remember my best friend at the time, I hadn't seen her in a while. Um, she was like, hey, do you want to get together this weekend? I was like, I can't. Like, I have, a, I have a long run. She goes, what if I meet you? And I was like, okay, but I still have like a one hour run. She goes, how about I do it with you? And I go 30 minutes out and 30 minutes back at my own pace. And yeah. then- that's what it boiled down to. Like she knew that was my priority. So she rearranged her schedule to come train with me, which I'm sure she was really not wanting to do, but it's that's how a, we spend time together. You know, that's a true friend. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. So, so take us to 2017, your full Ironman, you've trained up, you've done the six hour rides, you've done the, the, the two mile swims, you, you've done the training, you yep. show up, you've, you've put in, you're, you're coming off of, like you said, these major transitions, you, 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 you put your hat in the ring for this, 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 you know, monumental effort to get yourself to the start line. What's race day like? What's, what's happening? What's going on? Oh man. Race day is nothing like training. I can tell you that right now. You know, I tell people all the time when doing, and I think a lot of people would agree with this. When you Ironman train, you're training, um, 
your, your training is worse than actual race day. Oh, absolutely. By far. Right. Um, it's electric. It's, um, there's like a, there's this buzzing and it's not chaotic, but there's energy. I didn't feel like it was chaotic because everybody's the, going through the same motion, right? It's the collective energy of everybody. It's the that's, collective energy. Yeah. And literally everyone is, it is somehow going in the same direction. And you have, so you think oh. about, you have 3,200 participants. Um, and then you have, you know, three to four spectators per participant. So mm-hmm. there's thousands of people there, right? Um, you get there at five o'clock in the morning because that's when transition opens up and, you know, you got to get there early so you can go to the bathroom if you need to go to the bathroom, set up your transition the way you want it because you get to set up your own transit. You have to set up your transition in a teeny tiny little sliver mm-hmm. of, you know, make sure all of your stuff is arranged in the right order so you don't waste any time at transition. Um, and it's almost like, you're zoned, you zone everything out and you're zoned into what you're about to do. And that's, so I kind of attribute that zoning in back to my days as a tennis player. So Mm. um, junior high coach, it started with junior high, um, coach Powell, she used to tell us that we have to visualize, visualize your match, visualize each hit, visualize each volley, right? Um, and then going to the high school level, coach holiday would tell me the same thing. Like you have to visualize your match before you even get there. So I kind of took, that's one of the best things I ever took out of high school, um, is that whole visualization piece. So there I am in transition and I'm literally visualizing wetsuit, walking down to transition, getting into the water. How am I going to, you know, how long am I going to sit there? What am I going to do? Am I going to kick off immediately. Like, well, you know, I'm, I'm literally kind of going through all these different scenarios, but, um, so yeah, you get there really early, you set everything up, uh, you corral yourself. That's when we started, instead of a mass start, they started corralling people just like you do in running, right. Based on your, uh, projected finish. Right. And, um, because I'd never done this before, I put myself in, in the last corral because I was just terrified. Um, plus I didn't want to get kicked in the face. You know, I've had that happen on a triathlon. So like the least amount of people possible, the better. Um, and plus your chip time. So, I mean, it's okay. Right. But, um, so you go down into the, and I remember it was cold. The pavement was cold. The, just the air was cold. It's Arizona. And I was like, why is it not hot? It's Arizona, but it was, it was frigid. Um, I remember, making the switch from a sleeveless wetsuit to a full sleeved wetsuit is the best decision I could make. Water was cold. Like it was, it was just, yeah. Like getting to transition in the morning is again, like no other experience that I've had since, you know, it, it, it represents the culmination of this long journey that you've been on and a year long journey. Yeah. So now I'm Mm -hmm. here. It's, yes. it's coming to fruition yep. and, and this water is cold. Can't, <laughs> let's, can't let's turn back the, now. Let's get this started. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And the good thing was, you know, honestly, um, we had arrived on Thursday for, was this in Phoenix? Is this in Phoenix or where? This where? is in Tempe. Tempe. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we had arrived on Thursday, 
um, I was just telling this story to somebody like we, we flew in on Thursday, Julie and I did, my coach drove up, he left on Tuesday and he took our bike. He took our, our supplies. He, he drove everything in his sprinter. And so he met us at Ironman village. So he was like, okay, this is where I'm at. Come find me. So we find him. And uh, we walk around the village and we buy a few things because that's what you do. And um, we go back to the van and he was like, all right, get changed. We're going for a run. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, but it was, the, I mean, like he, he knows, like Charlie knows, Charlie knows exactly what he's doing. So we went for a quick, you know, three mile run and he took us on the race course so that we kind of a little bit knew he was like this is the one area where you're going to struggle with the most because it's dark there's no lighting at night if you come in at night you're not gonna be able to see anything so I just want to get you familiar with what you're going to encounter so you can visualize it visualizing it exactly and then um you know we go have dinner and kind of relax and then so Friday he takes us on the beeline which is the bike course Mm -hmm. and the beeline is not flat and people will tell you, oh, it's it's a false flat. No, it's it's a for real, not false flat. It's a it's an incline. I mean, it's not like Kona incline, but you can definitely tell in your legs that you're going uphill. So we rode that on Friday and then um, checked our bikes. And then on Saturday, we went for an open water swim just to kind of get used to the water, get acclimated to everything. So um, going into race day, I felt um, oddly calm. Um, there was that excitement, obviously, because like, oh my God, finally it's here. And it's like one big training day with all the disciplines together. Um, but yeah, you know, my, my coach did a really great job preparing me. You know, it was it was a really great experience that day. So and from from what I saw- And my, my girlfriend, when I was going through the shoot, she was like- um, fixing me like fixing my clothing and like fixing my bib number for the photo op yeah and I started crying because I mean it's very emotional you know I'd spent 16 hours doing this event you know and um all of those seasons of change kind of just kind of that whole tidal wave hit me and uh Linda yells at me she was like stop crying you're about to take a picture there's no crying in triathlon that's exactly right. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was great. It was a great experience. Now, obviously you, you, you know, you set the goal of doing four halves yeah. in text or, or, or this year or this coming year. Right. Why yes. not just do two fulls? Um, it's diff. The training's way different. I know I was teasing. Training, yeah. <laughs> but no. So I was signed up for Ironman Texas. Oh, okay. And- yeah, so the goal was to do all of the Texas sanctioned events, and I'm a little disappointed um, that I that I'm not going to be able to do it. Um, but it was a decision that I felt was right to defer to 2022 with my full. Um, the The training load is just too much. Too much. Yeah, yeah, and so I just could I, and I even talked to my coach about this the other night. Like, could I have gotten across the finish line? Probably. And I've gotten across the finish line without hurting myself somehow. Absolutely not. Like, there's no way. So knowing that I was fully trained for Arizona, because I trained for a full year, remember? My IT band was on fire the last 
I want to say quarter of the marathon portion. And so I hobbled and hopped and, you know, side shuffled or did whatever I could do to get to the finish. And that was after training for a full year. Right, right. Pretty regular training plan. This year it's hit and miss. And I just, there's no way, there's no way physically that I would come out unscathed. And I just didn't want to risk um, ruining my racing season you know, with an injury. So, um, he and I both agreed that was probably the best decision. So, but yeah, I'm excited about my four halves. I just, it's way more doable training. So when, when is the first half? When is that coming up? Um, it's in four weeks. It's in 30 days, 31 days, 30 days. It's in Galveston. Well, we should have been recording this while you were on the trainer or in the pool or I really should have done that, but. (laughs) So you, Real quickly back to the full. So you're, you're sure. crossing the finish line. How far out from the finish line did you start crying? Oh man. So with or- Iron races, they literally, well, I cried a lot that day. Like, <laughs> okay. I, I'm not even going to lie. Like, it's just, it's such an emotional day. So when I get, I'm in the water, I don't cry in the water. Cause I've done that before where you cry in your goggles and like oh, the water. Wow. don't go anywhere. So don't cry in your goggles. So I ended up getting kicked in the face on the swim. Right. And so one of my lenses filled up with water and I could stop to take the water out, but I knew that, like, I didn't know what my time was and I kind of already knew that I'm slow. So I just kept swimming with one eye. Oh God. One eye's closed and I'm just sighting with one eye, whatever. And uh, I pirate my way to the finish. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I go into transition and so the experience of going through transition is amazing. It's the closest I'll ever be to a supermodel because you go in there and the volunteers that are in the tent where you change, um, cause, you know, cause you have to change out of your clothing right, to get right. your next kit. If you choose to change the volunteers that are in there, they dress you literally they dress you. And so you have transition bags. So my first bag, I dump it out on the floor and two ladies come up to me and they're standing on either side of me. And, um, they said, okay, what do you need? I said, I need this. And so they literally help you dress, right. Um, they put your socks on for you, like literally like one's on her hands and knees, putting my socks on, one lady, the, the second lady is behind me and she's got my nutrition. And so on your race kit, you have your little pockets on the back, you know, for your runner listeners, like you have your little pockets on the back and that's where you carry all of your nutrition. So whatever you're going to eat, that's where you load it. Right. And so she's like, where do you want this one? I want it in the left pocket. Where do you want this? one? I want it in the right pocket. Where do you want this one? I want that in the right pocket. Okay. You know, so back and forth, they're literally loading me up. And the last piece was my helmet. So they get the helmet and they put it on my head and I, I reached the back to adjust the tension. So it, it fits snug on my head and it's broken. Oops. Yeah. So best we can think is that someone at some point stepped on it while it was out like in a row. Cause you yeah. kind of position bags out um, and they, they, they broke it. So I was like, they're not going to let me leave because this is a safety hazard. Like, no way. This is how it ends. Yeah. That's how it ends. So I'm like, crying number one. This is how it ends. 
Um, and the volunteer that was dressing me, she goes, what do you need? And I'm just stunned, deer in headlights. I, I can't even think. And finally she yells at me. She was like, what do you need? And I was like, electrical tape. Like, I didn't know what to say, right? Packing tape, like, like what do you do? Well, she came back with red electrical tape. Where she found that, I don't know. And she was like, she was so sweet. And it matches your helmet. I was like, thank you. And I just bawled. So we wrap it as best we can. It still doesn't adjust, mind you. So it's floppy on my head, oh, but strapped under, under the chin. And she goes, what are you going to do? And I was like, I just won't crash. And I ran out of the tent, right? Before they can stop you. <laughs> Before they can stop me, basically. Um, so that was cry number one. Cry number two came on the bike because I went up a, an overpass and I downshifted. And any cyclist listening to this will know you don't downshift when you're going up a hill. So my chain dropped. Oh, My chain dropped and it twisted and I couldn't undo it. And so like, that's it. Like you can't, can't finish. Could, could, when it happened, could you even pedal or no, it was just stuck? No, like it was locked. Locked and loaded. Yeah, locked and loaded. I couldn't do anything. How far and into the ride were you? I was starting my last loop. Okay. And I was 30 minutes from cutoff. So that's the oh. other thing. Like running, you have cutoff times, right? And mind you, I'm super slow on the bike. So, and I, I'm like a mile from the turnaround to get back on the last loop. So I'm, I'm literally a mile from the cutoff point. Yeah. 30 minutes. And so I pull over, I'm on this overpass. I'm at the top of the bridge now because I walk my bike to the top and I, I don't know what to do with myself. Like I start to cry again, like crying. <laughs> and this angel sent from heaven stops and he asks me like, are you okay? And I was like, my chain, I don't even know what I said. Now, is he also a participant? Is he? Is he's, he a, he's a racer. Okay. Yeah, he's a race participant. So okay. he stops and he said, well, let me take a look. So he flips my tiny little Barbie bike upside down because I ride like the smallest size possible. <laughs> flips it upside down. And he goes, I can't guarantee that I won't break your chain, but I'm going to try to not just to get you back on the course. He said, and then go right when you go through the cutoff point, there's a like a bike stand mm -hmm. tent thing. He goes, go talk to Curly. I'm like, okay. And he goes, he's a scary looking fella, but he'll set you up right. That's exactly what he tells me. So he gets, he gets my chain untwisted and he gets it back on the track and he pushes me off. And I was like, are you, are you still racing? He was like, oh no, I'm almost done. I'm on my way in. And I still have a whole loop to go. So I was like, oh God. So he was done. I get to Curly. He sets me up. He lectures me about downshifting. I totally know Curly. Let me go. So I start on my last loop. So I'm relieved. So now I have tears of relief. So then. Oh no. I know it's, it's incredible. It's, I'm telling you, it's a miracle of God that I finish this race. I love it. I start. It's the last loop. I can't stop to go to the bathroom because I know I won't make it. Well, you're, 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 now you're chasing the cutoff. Now I'm chasing cutoff. Yeah. And, and I'm chasing, you know, sundown. Right. So I've been on the bike for, you know, a thousand years. <laughs> so 
and I can't see. I'm like, why can't I see? It's so dark. It's because the sun was going down. I still had sunglasses on. So I had to take my sunglasses off. You know, I mean, it was that point in the day. And I start seeing all the trucks of shame going by. Oh, I know. What you know, as a, as a runner, yeah. you get the van of shame, right? The trucks of shame start going by with everybody's bikes. Mm. Oh my God. I'm gonna, I went through getting kicked in the face, a broken helmet, a twisted chain, all to get picked up. Well, and water, don't forget the water in your goggle. That, that's right. The, exactly. Water in the goggle. That's the other thing. So I was like, this is how it ends. This is literally how it ends. And I was like, you know, what? just keep going. If they pull you, they pull you, they but pull just you, right? like, you're not going to know, like, don't quit. Keep going. I won't be the one to quit. They might pull me from the course, but I'm not giving up. Well, I'm going to be the one to quit. Right? right. So I keep pedaling and I see the entrance to Iron Man village. It's in my sights. Right. And I see the truck of shame parked at the entrance. And I start, I start like formulating this stupid plan in my brain where I'm like, okay, if they approach me, I'm just going to cycle real fast. <laughs> they won't be able to catch me. And then I thought, you're too tired. You're not going to cycle that fast. Okay. If they approach me, then I'm going to ride real wide and they're going to have to come chase me down. And I was like, again, you're tired. You're not going to do that. I was like, okay, third plan. If they approach me, I'm just going to run right into them and knock them down and keep going. Keep going. Chase me. Right. The police will probably have to come get me, but whatever. I'm not going to finish. I mean, I'm not going to quit. So I literally go by that truck of shame and it's on my left-hand side. So I, I, kind of close my left eye and I tilt my head to the side so I don't see it. So like, if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. And I kept cycling and I made it. And nobody, nobody tried to stop me. And nobody tried to talk to me. So I was like, I think I made it, right? So I get in to the village and they take your bike for you, just right. like at Kona which is kind of nerve wracking all at the same time. But I'd been on the bike for so long. I don't care what they did to my bike. They could have just sold it. I didn't care. So I take my bike and I start running and I'm so self-deprecating and such a jokester that I start yelling out my, my bib number so they can meet me with my transition bag, right? right? Run. And the volunteer meets me with my bag. <laughs> and I said, do you have a magic carpet in your bag? Because there's no time for jokes. You have 10 minutes to get on the run or they're going to oh. oh, snap. So again, I start crying because I'm like, I got kicked in the face and water in my goggle and a broken twisted chain and a busted chain, like a twisted chain. And I almost didn't make bike cut off and I'm not going to make it to the run. So I literally, I'm thinking I'm running. I'm probably just like walking with big strides but I go up the tiny little hill and I get into the changing tent and I had a four minute transition. Wow. Fastest transition I've ever had yeah. in my whole entire life. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't for the volunteers helping me, there's no way I'd I would still be there. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd literally still be there so many years later and get onto the run. And it was like, okay, here we go. This is it. Last one. This is the end. Like yeah. literally just one foot in front of the other until you finish or they pull you from the course. Right. Right. Um, and got to the halfway mark, you know, cause it's, it's two loops, um, got to the halfway mark and took my nutrition, took my ibuprofen, 
took my pickle shot because I could feel my cramps coming on um, in my legs. Met a couple of people from social media on the route. Uh, <laughs> Santiago, I met him and I followed him for a long time. And he ran with me for about half a mile in his blue jeans. Um, met a man from New Braunfels on the route. Yeah. So that was kind of cool, which is for your listeners. It's right up the road from San Antonio. It's right. It's North. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I, like I said, the last quarter of the run, I mean, my leg was on fire. I thought for sure my IT band was going to bust, but by the grace of God, I made it. But you, but, I mean, you, you finished 16 hours, 28 minutes, 56 seconds, right? Correct. And in, in cut, like the deadline. Cutoff time to- is 17 hours. Oh, I thought it was 18. No, so no you, kept, you kept it tight. <laughs> yeah. So my girlfriend that I was telling you that that same season yeah. for um, Ironman Texas, yeah, he made it by 56 seconds or 54 seconds. With 56 seconds or that to much spare. time? Wow. To spare. The finish line must have been electric when she was coming down. It was incredible. I mean, I, and, and it's incredible all night long. That's what I was. Right, right, right. But this is someone, you know, you as soon know, as people start is, going, it's is, like, a, I literally lost my voice when I went to spectate because yeah. you just literally scream the whole time. Um, but when you're at the end yeah. and you're down to the wire and you have your last finishers coming through. Oh, it's, it's almost as if like you're, you are hoping that the, the yelling that you're doing or the voices that you're, you know, the voice that you're screaming out the words that you're screaming out will carry them to the finish. Yeah. Um, and as somebody coming in, you're like, please God, let these words carry me across the finish line. Cause I don't know if I'm going to make it cause it's so hard, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it's, it was totally worth it. Do I want to do it again? Yes. Mostly because I want to make sure it wasn't just a, a guile that I got done, time <laughs> around, you know, um, because of all those things happening to yeah. me, I feel yeah. like it was. No, I mean, it was, it was, it was more than just the triathlon. There was so right. much more behind it, underneath right. it, over it, that, that carried you, that weighted you down, that followed you. You know, it was all those things that, that, that there's so much that those individuals crossing the finish line, there's so much to their story of how they got to that finish Absolutely, line. Absolutely, yes. And again, yeah. everybody has a story Absolutely. in triathlon, well, in any endurance sport, right? And I think that's one of the things that pulls the community together is that we each have our own background and our yeah. own narrative. That's what, I, that's what I call it. Everybody has their own narrative that brings them to the start line and everybody has their own narrative that brings them across the finish. Um, and if we just took the time... Mm. To, to sit and talk with people, you'll find out that narrative and it's either going to break your heart or it's going to inspire you. One of the two. Or probably both, you know, probably might, both, probably both, yeah, probably you both. know, so, so, I mean, that's a fantastic race recap and, and, you know, I can think about my own race experience or being at the finish line of a marathon or ultra marathons, sure. you know, somebody, I don't know who the quote is attributed to that said, if you want to see, kind of the best of humans go to the finish line of an event, like an Ironman or a right. Western States it's or true. a marathon. And it right. is, and it is. And the other thing that I wanted to, to kind of, I highlight, you know, the volunteers and how they helped you. 
I think that's the other thing I love about these events is you have volunteers that know you from, they don't know you from Adam or Eve. They, they could care less what you look like. And all they want to do is help you get to the finish line. And I think it's such a, such a, you know, it's, it's cliche because, you know, a lot of folks will say these events are kind of, uh, you know, representative of life, you know, but sadly it's not because there aren't a lot of people out there willing to help others, strangers help us get across the finish line. So that's, you know, I thought that really resonated with me in my own experience, but also in hearing you retell your experience, how, you know, there's, there's thousands of volunteers that help out with Ironman and they're all there just to help you get across that finish line. So here's a really funny story. You know how you and I talked before you started recording, right? Right. Talked about how social media really connects people. Sure. And really, honestly, social media almost makes the world a smaller place. Oh, absolutely. Some good, some bad. (laughs) Some, some, some of it's not so great. You're right. Um, So this last time that I volunteered at Ironman Texas, so mind you, I went to Ironman Texas in 2015. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to like look at the chronology of it. So 2015, I go spectate. 2016, I volunteer. Okay. Since 2016, I have volunteered every year with the exception of last year because of the pandemic. Sure, giving back. And last year I was supposed to compete, but anyhow, so in 2019, I volunteer again, okay. right? And I've done volunteering at wetsuit stripping. I have volunteered at uh, bike special needs. Um, in 2019, I volunteered at Transition One. Okay. And what's great about volunteering at T1, one, you have to get there really early. Um, you get there about five o'clock in the morning, four thirty, because you have to help set up, and it's it's the beginning of the entire race, and that's really important. So you're airing up tires, filling up water bottles, you know, keeping everybody calm, helping people find what they need. Well, at one point, this athlete comes up, and he, you know, it's international, right? So this guy comes up, and he's trying to convey a question about what we figured out is will his glasses be at the table at the swim exit because he wears glasses and he's, oh. he can't see without his glasses. Right. So when you're an athlete, you can set your glasses up at that table so that you can kind of see what you're doing. Well, so he was trying to ask if there's going to be a table there and whatnot. Well, it dawns on us later that that's what he's asking because we could never really figure it out. Figure out what he was saying. Yeah. And so they said, Lolly, go chase him and tell him, yes, he can put his glasses on the table. So I'm hauling it and I'm, you know, running out of, out of transition. And I find him and I said, we know what you're asking. Yes. You can put the glasses on the table, blah, blah, blah. And he says, okay, great. And he starts walking away. And this guy, this person taps me on the shoulder and mind you, I have a headlamp on because it's dark, right? right, it's right. Taps me on the shoulder and he says, ma'am, I need some help. And I turn around and I'm hiding my lamp because I'm shining it in his face. Right. And he says, I lost. No, I need to verify that my transition bag is where it's supposed to be, but I can't get into that transition area. And it's important in this, that, and the other. And then I said, "Um, sure. What's your bib number? And he goes, lolly. (laughs) I go, yes. And he goes, it's me, Kevin Halligan. He's a guy that I had followed on social media for the better part oh, of so- Florida. Well, I think he was out of Florida. 
maybe. Anyway, he was out of Texas. And so those two worlds collide <laughs> in the thousands, the sea of thousands of participants and spectators. He taps on my shoulder of all places. That's funny. Um, and so I was like, okay, let me look for it. You go down to the swim start. I'll somehow figure out how to get your bag to you, whatever, whatever. So we figure it out. I don't know how to get a hold of him because he's in, he's swimming. Like, how am I going to tell that guy that we have his bag, right? So social media comes to the rescue. I find his profile. He links that he's married. So I link to his wife's page. I send her a message. And I was like, hi. We, we have a bag. He asked me for his bag. We've, just, we've located it. When he gets out of the water, tell him it's there for him. And she's Funny. like, are you sure? I said, yes, I'm, I'm positive. Like we put our eyes on it. Right. She's like, oh my God, thank you so much. So literally that's the power of social media and what wow. it can do. Um, and it's, it's, it's so bizarre. I've had so many little instances like that. That's fantastic. But you know, my time of training. to have thousands of people at an event like that and that to yeah. run into them like that and then to be able to use it for good. Benefit him, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Wow, we met- that- at the porta potty one time, <laughs> Nancy Rem, like we were kind of joking. It was at Ironman Arizona, and we're like joking and like I awkward know. humor because yeah. you know we're about to race and we're all like nervous. And uh, it got like awkwardly quiet, and then she, I could tell she was staring at me, and then I felt real uncomfortable. And she was like, "Are you Lolly Cakes on Instagram?" <laughs> maybe. And she goes, we've been following each other for years. So that was like my first experience. And that was really strange. That's funny. That's funny. Mm-hmm. But great. But yeah, I mean, nowadays, you know, you have that experience, the, the potential for that experience exists because right. we're all, you know, like, like, you know, like how we connected and, you know, because of the shared interests and now, well, now I would recognize you, but you know, <laughs> whereas before I might go, Hey, you know that I think I recognize her from social media. That's right. Wow. That's, that's right. Fantastic. So fantastic story, uh, Lolly, but I really also want to spend some time talking about, um, another initiative that you've recently taken on and that swim bike run for equality. Yes. So obviously you've, you've, you've dove in, you know, with, with the try you're in it, you're a part of that culture. I would say, safe to say, it's, it kind of defines who you are right now, correct? Right, for so sure. What What is the Swim Bike Run for Equality? What is that? And where did that come from? What was the genesis of that? So um, that also is a really fantastic um, culmination of some really good ideas. So okay. after the death of Ahmad Arbery, right. anybody that's an endurance athlete knows sure. that we all ran for, for Ahmad right. after that right. happened. When that happened, um, Kelly Worrell, she's a vice president in okay. the family, she reached out to uh, Michael Smith, and he's the president of our foundation. Okay. Both of them are para-athletes okay. um, in various categories. Uh, Kelly's nationally ranked. She's world-ranked um, para-athlete, um, trying to make the national team. Right. So, you know, she's she's not a full-time position, but she races on the side, you know, trying to make the team. Uh, Mike, on the other hand, is is a full-time athlete and he he's an athlete for the United States Army. Okay. And that's his profession sure. is the athlete trying to punch his pro card. Sure. So that's how they know each other um, through Dare to Try. Okay. They were teammates. And uh, Kelly 
and she's readily admitted this, you know, she comes from a very privileged background. She's, she's white. Um, she really felt the sting of what was going on in our world at that time. Sure. Racial tension sure. And, and, and everything that kind of just reared its ugly head sure. in a way you couldn't um, look away. Um, she reaches out to Mike. Mike is a black, a black para-athlete. So mm-hmm. he's one of very few, if at all, um, in the para-tri world that's an athlete of color. Sure. So the fact that they're such close friends, Kelly reaches out to Mike and has this very candid, very vulnerable conversation about, you know, help me. Like, help me to do something that's going to make a difference mm-hmm people's lives rather than just me being an ally. Like you can be an ally. That's great. But like, what are we going to do to make things different? What is actionable? Right. How are we moving the needle? Right. Exactly. And in a way that's going to change the landscape is how I want to say it. Not just, Um, it's not just, you know, right. It's not just talk. It's not rhetoric. Right. Um, Talk to me about actionable steps. And so, they had a really good conversation. And next thing I know, you know, um, I get a call from Mike and he's like, Hey, I have a friend. Um, this is what we're kind of grappling with. And they had decided initially that they would, they tossed around the idea of a virtual race. Okay. But like everybody was doing virtual races. I mean, it's the, the pandemic, like, right. That's just another thing, right? Correct, it wouldn't right. gain much traction. Um, what what else could we do? And I was like, well, I mean, you can make a, a face like a Facebook group. And he was like, yeah, that's kind of what we were thinking. We just don't know how to get that started. And uh, it's now, you know, it's very common knowledge now because Mike has talked about it. I run his athlete page um, for his journey. So, you know, posting motivational stuff. Right, right. Um, he has talked to me about quotes, um, feelings, you know, photos, things like that. And I basically will package them together and post them for him, right? Gotcha. On his behalf. So I'm pretty vi- well versed in that. And so they felt like they needed help, like getting it started. You sure. know, what is it? What does it entail? How do we do it? You know, so part of my job in the education world is I'm a curriculum and instruction coach. Okay. And so it's asking a lot of open-ended questions, getting clarification, making sure that, you know, the person that I'm coaching has a clear idea of what direction they want to go. Sure. Curricularly, typically, but with this, in this instance, it was, what do you want to do? Yeah. What is the purpose? What, what are you hoping people away with when they join this group. So we figured all that out, coached them through that, um, started this page, it's called Swim, Bike, Run for Equality, and uh, launched it in June of 2020. And um, it really was created so that people had a platform to come and ask questions in a safe space. Um, where they wouldn't be ridiculed, where they wouldn't be um, looked down upon for not knowing, um, but where we could also be educated um, to, to, to make change, to do something different, you know, um, because at the time, 
you know, if, if you were involved, anybody that was involved in endurance sports, specifically triathlon at the time, there was a little bit of an implosion with one of the Ironman groups and um, it had tens of thousands of members in this group. They felt like they wanted to have um, real authentic game-changing conversations um, and Ironman has since come out with a, with a statement. So this is not a surprise to anybody as I speak about this, but um, certain administrators in that group had turned off comments or would delete comments that came from people of color or white people that were asking legitimate questions because it's an uncomfortable topic. Sure. And, and it was not a safe space for people to have that conversation there. So in seeing what was happening there, it's almost like a parallel, right? So right. our group juxtaposed with that group, we knew what it, we didn't want it to be. So we had to create that safe space. It's a private group. You do have to ask permission to join the group. Um, if we see anything nefarious going on, you know, we're not afraid to take you out of the group you know, because we want it to remain safe for the members in that group. So we have about 1,800 more members in the group now, um, not just triathletes. Um, there's runners, cyclists, swimmers, triathletes, crossfitters, walkers, um, people that maybe just want to learn a little bit more, you know, about topics um, revolving around race, diversity, inclusion, equality. So, that's how Swim, Bike, Run for Equality started. Um, the first challenge we had in June going into July, kind of bleeding into July was um, something, you know, it, it was novel. Take this bib, you know, Mike, uh, Dave Bloom is the guy that created the site where we could download a bib, a virtual bib, go out, do something that's sports related, post about it, focus on the positive, focus on equality, focus on diversity. Let's put that out there because the conversation had turned into at that time, black versus white. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, that's, let's be honest. That's what it turned into. Oh, absolutely. We didn't want it to be that way. Okay. And we knew that we could make change. So that was our initial challenge. Close middle to the end of July, we start having a conversation about, okay, what next? Like, are we going to do another challenge? Are we going to keep doing these challenges? Like what's next? At that time, you know, in talking with Mike and Kelly, they really felt like they wanted this to be a little bit more um, sustainable and they wanted to really positively change that landscape. But what did that look like? Right. So we had that conversation again, a coaching conversation, and Swim Bike Run for Equality Foundation was formed. Um, so it was, okay, let me let me do some research. Like I'm kind of back of the house person. Right, right. <laughs> Kelly has a profile as a as a nationally ranked athlete, world ranked athlete. That's like her profile. She's a USAT ambassador, United States. Mm -hmm. uh, Association uh, triath Triathlon, United States of America Triathlon Association, right? She's a USAT ambassador. Mike is also a USAT ambassador and his profile is really blowing up. So he really is the, the front sure. face of it. I do all the paperwork. <laughs> so um, 
you know, it was doing a lot of the research. How do we get this started? How do we form a, a, a nonprofit? What does that entail? What do we, what do we want to offer as a nonprofit? And so what we landed on was we really want to promote equality through sport, whatever sport you decide to do. We want to promote equality through sport. Um, and we really are hoping that we're able to raise funds so that we can sponsor three different athletes. We'd like to sponsor a male age grouper, a female age grouper, and a para-athlete. Um, so we'll offer grants to help them through their journey. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, an individual of color because there aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of Latinas in triathlon, right? right. Um, there's not a lot of Asians in triathlon. Like they, triathlon can be so diverse, but there are so many obstacles um, that keeps it from becoming diverse. Um, could it be done? Yes. We just need to have the resources and the right avenues to, to make it so. Um, and so that's what we want to focus on. You know, we, we, we want to try to, in our tiny little corner of triathlon, you know, that's, that's our, that's our goal and that's our purpose. So there's a lot to unpack there. And, oh, absolutely. And, and with the group or, or with the conversation mm -hmm. that you guys are wanting to facilitate with the group or just with, with everything you're doing with swim, bike, run for equality mm -hmm. is, is, is the idea that somebody can come to that group and go, Hey, this is a legitimate question. You know, I'm, you know, somebody that grew up very sheltered, yes. you know, did not have any access or interaction with people of color. Here's my question. Yes. Is this true? And then somebody yes. who's moderating can check, can go, no, that's not true. Right. This is the reality. Okay. Right. We're having an exchange. We're sharing our experiences in the hope that in doing so we get an understanding on both sides of where how differing opinions are and different experiences have led us to this point. Correct. Okay. Correct. That's okay. absolutely right. Okay. Um, one of the, I think one of the difficult things, you know, if anybody's ever been a moderator in a group <laughs> is to moderate in such a way that you don't want to censor anyone. Right. But at the same time, we want to be, sensitive to topics and people's opinions. And well, so you, you want people to speak their truth. We want people so, to speak their truth in but, a respectful exactly, way. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, so for us, what we, you know, I've, I've also in my long journey in education, cause I'm almost at 20 years. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's a lot um, for a short period of time, probably the better part of two years. Um, I was a coordinator of public relations okay. in my district. Okay. So luckily that tiny slither of time, sliver of time, I was able to work on media outreach gotcha. and social media stuff and, you know, kind of, um, what do I want to say, develop that part of my background. Sure. Sure. So that whole part has really come to play with the foundation with this group. Gotcha. Right. With this group. And so it's a lot of 
conversations within our board. Hey, this is what's going on. How do we, how do we address it? Okay. From a PR standpoint, blah, 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 blah. Right. Right. From a humanistic standpoint, you want to be sure that you recognize and you address and right. this, that, that. but we need to be sure that our group is always respectful and forward thinking because you can't come in here and just gripe about how you're irritated with stuff. Correct. We're, we hear you. Now what? What's the solution? And it's, I mean, you think about it in any workplace, that's what most people are going to ask you. Yes, we hear that you're, you have, you're disgruntled. We hear that you are upset. We hear that there are some things that you may um, see that are not equitable, right? Correct. Right, right. Um, and we're not saying that that's not so, but let's think of solutions together. Sure. You know, and let's work together to make that happen. So I remember one time there was a quite the spicy conversation in her group and <laughs> it took off real quick. Like it was like wildfire, really, yeah. honestly. Um, and I remember telling the group, I said, don't delete anything. If there's something that is incredibly disparaging and disrespectful, we address it with that individual off to the side their direct message or phone call. Um, if it's real bad, then okay, we'll, we'll delete it. But this is people's opinions. But then at some point, I remember telling them, I said, okay, it's time we're going to turn off comments. So, because it could have, it could have gone south. It could have got bad. Yeah. Right. So I remember saying, you know, thank you everybody for the spirited conversation. Thank you so much for your opinions. They're very valued at Swim Bike Run for Equality. We're forward thinking, we're solutions-based, blah, 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 PR, 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 but it's really what we are. And then thank you for your opinions. Thank you for your membership. We look forward to the work that we can do together. Bloop, and turn it off. Right, right, right. right. Um, because again, we don't want to shut anybody down, but we don't want anybody to go down a rabbit hole where they can't get themselves out of because it, it's all about solutions. And it, and is it being constructive? You know, it, it, right. it exactly. Turn, That's it, important. It, it can easily turn into a wildfire that becomes out right. of control. And then right. you realize uh, what just not, happened. Well, and we're not even addressing the, the, the issue we're dealing right. with, with something that has nothing to do with our, uh, with our mission or what we're trying to accomplish right. here. And instead you have, you know, people that are, you know, they're reacting, it's becoming an emotional reaction and, and not one where you can step back and say, okay, what's going on here? What's really going on? And, right. and, you know, with a topic like race, you know, I think we still have a long way to go. And, and mm -hmm. unfortunately, unfortunately events, you know, from last year with Ahmad and George Floyd and everything that's going on, it's really raised the visibility of those conversations, but I, I you know, it, the, the conversation itself, it's still something that I feel personally, it, that's where we need to become creative and, 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 and learn how to just have that conversation. You know, right. I can, we can't up. look away anymore. Exactly. We you can't. Know, it's, it's, it's bubbled to the surface to the point. Well, I say that, but I know quite a few people that are hoping that it just kind of, well, know. cause it's uncomfortable right? People don't like that. Exactly. And so it, but it really has gotten to a point, especially in endurance sports where a lot of us, let's be honest, a lot of us have that alpha 
personality. Oh yeah. And we, we won't let that go away. We're not going to sweep it under the carpet anymore. Right. A lot of type A personalities. You have a lot of folks that, you know, make commitments to do these big events, these big races. They invest a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy, and you feel like, Hey, I'm entitled to, you know, my views and my opinions when it comes to this, because I've invested all this and it's hard for folks to step away and go, wait a minute, maybe I should think twice about this because it's not Mm -hmm. helping. It's not helping. And it's, and instead it's, it's very incendiary. And, and, and it doesn't help move the, the, the needle needle. Like you said earlier, it doesn't move the needle in any positive direction. Right. And I think, you know, my hope is, is, and, and, and there are a lot of organizations or foundations and groups that are trying to do what you guys are doing in giving the opportunity and creating the visibility for athletes of color or with, you know, para, para athletes. Cause I mean, as you were talking about that, I thought, okay, like in the, in the, in the marathon world, you've got wheelchair racing, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's very competitive, very, very, you know, it's, it's, it's just as exciting to watch as the actual marathon. Right. But when I look at the, 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 the people that are competing in that sport, there, there aren't very many people of color and not that, that, not that we should force that, but we should create the opportunity for those that are out there and say, Hey, are you aware that this is a thing, you know, right. Would you, would you might so be interested in it? Would you want to try We it literally just had this conversation as a board last Friday. So our meetings are every Friday and uh, Derek Britton is new to our group. Um, he is just, he was just added to our foundation board. He's out of Georgia, uh, okay. Atlanta, he um, is an is an Ironman athlete and an Ironman coach. So it's funny because we each have our niche. So he's he's in the Ironman world. I'm in the Ironman world. Kelly and Mike are you know in the ITU world, but it's gotcha. all fun, right? right, right. So um, you know, Derek brought that up last week, and he was like, "You can't tell me that there are not athletes of color." that are out there that just haven't been cultivated, motivated, trained, um, whatever, whatever verb you want to use. Like it's like, there's people out there that have just given the opportunity, they will rise to the occasion and it will change the landscape. Right. right. Our foundation looks to find those people, Sure. you know, um, resources, opportunity, education, um, know-how, just being aware, like you said, they may not be aware that this is a thing. Like right. Mike, you know, you would love to talk with him. He's He's got an amazing background too, story. He didn't realize this was a thing, <laughs> you know? And then he became a, a bobsledder. Oh, wow. For the Olympics. He's a black one-armed athlete on the bobsled team, the para-athlete bobsled team, right? So, but he was surrounded by people that exposed him to the opportunities that typically would not, he he wouldn't have otherwise known about. Right, right, right. Um, For me, triathlon, if it wasn't for Mary Kay, I wouldn't have known. Right. 
know what I'm saying? So yeah, I know. I, I know um, exactly what you're saying. How do we, how do we, how do we get that out there? You yeah. know, I think running is a little bit easier because it's it, every, a lot of people do it. You know, um, you have five Ks. I remember signing up for a five K every month. You know, it's it's a lot more common than cycling or swimming events. I didn't know a 5k swimming event existed until I started doing triathlon, you know, right. right. How do we get the word out, um, for people of different religions and race, racial backgrounds, you know, um, gender, gender equality is a huge issue with us, you know, that we talk about too. Um, you know, we have a member in our group who's transgendered and, you know, she's fighting the fight. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're very supportive of her. Sure. We don't know the rules. We're trying to find out the rules so that we can be as supportive as possible. Um, but she's educating us, you know, just like we hope to educate others about equality, diversity, you know, inclusion in sport. So, right, right. No, I mean, as, as you're talking about kind of the opportunity, I'm thinking about my own journey and how, you know, I, I ran cross country and track in high school mm-hmm. and, you know, that led to me being able to run in college, mm-hmm. you know, and it was because I had that exposure at the collegiate level that then I knew, oh, there's, there's life post-college with right. racing and running. And then because I was in that group, I, you know, then you, each little stage exposed me to different parts of this world that to right. me now, having been in the game, you know, for very long, <laughs> you know, I can, I, I know, right. I know about it. I, it's not a, it's to me, I'm hearing about this. I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But for somebody who has no exposure to that, some of the kids that I coach, I coach at, at, at the local high school cross country and track, and you try to expose them to these things so that, Hey, and again, even with social media, even though it's out there and it's at the, at the tip of your fingers, if, if you don't know it's there, you're not going to know how to go there. Exactly. Right? And so mm-hmm. it's, it's connecting them to the sport in different ways. So, you know, Hey, this is what's going on. Or if I'm doing something, Hey, this is what I'm doing with my running and racing or with the, with the races we're developing, we're exposing them to them so that they're aware of it. So they know so that they can decide you're crazy for running a hundred mile race. I don't want to do it. I'm glad you did it, but I'm not going to do it, but it, you know about it. You know what I mean? As yeah. simplistic so- as that sounds. That's, that's no, and it's it's true. Um, so when I was, uh, when I became an academic facilitator, oh gosh, back in two thousand seven eight, somewhere in there, um, our music teacher just and I decided that we were going to start a running group, you know, because uh, it's a it it was a Title One school, low socioeconomically okay. disadvantaged school. Um, we didn't have clubs. We didn't have any of that stuff. Um, I, at one point did a golf club after school. I got the local <laughs> academy to donate golf clubs. I didn't know what I was doing. Like I was taking lessons myself, but I would take my lesson and then bring it to school. Right. But still it was something exposing these kids to golf. Sure. One mom, who's now married and has kids, like he still plays golf. So I'm like, yes. Right. Um, but at that time, we decided to start this running club. We had no idea what we were doing, like none whatsoever. We had them run in the backyard there at school, like the back 40 is what we called it. 
but the goal was to get them to sign up for the first 5k race. We had to have a talk about what a mile was and then what two miles were, you know? And so we did that and we had 25 kids, I think, sign up and come regularly every Wednesday is when we would do it. And then the day of the race came and it was, it's somewhere coming up on our anniversary because it was a shamrock shuffle. Oh yeah. So yeah. We had about 16 kids do the race and I'm not kidding. Each kid had at least one parent enter the race. Good for them. Yeah. Good for them. They almost died because they were not (laughs) trained, but still late. They walked the, the route, you know, some of them did run. One of our kids almost won actually, but um, he petered out at the end, but um, like it was, it was a great experience. And if you don't have the opportunity to expose kids, that's my, that's my, that's my line, right? right, right? Working with kids. So if I don't have the opportunity to expose kids to the various things that we do as adults, they'll never know. So every opportunity I get, I talk about triathlon with our kids at school. They're like, what's that? I'm like, well, let me tell you. Right. Um, and they, some of them will be like, you do that on purpose. <laughs> what you, said, you do that on purpose. Yes, I do it on purpose. But you always will have that one kid that you know you're planting the seed. Exactly. In. Exactly. Um, and I, with adults, it's the same thing. And how are we going to get them that opportunity um, to participate in the things that are out there? Sure. And, you know, like I said, what we hope to do at Swim Bike Run for Equality, we hope to make a little bit of a difference with that. That's fantastic. Well, Lolly, I'm looking at the clock and we've, we, I'm, I'm sure we could go for another couple hours and I would love, love to be able to do that, but we'll definitely have to have you come back to talk about some of the, well, what's happening with Swim, Bike, Run for Equality. Sure. But as we're wrapping up, I've got two questions that I want to mm-hmm. ask you before, before we go. One is specific to San Antonio. And okay. as we were talking, I, I don't know if we were recording this when we first started talking about it, I was asking about the barbecue place in the Valley. Oh, right. This is one of those other questions that I asked people from San Antonio and I've been disappointed. So I'm hoping I'm not, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I just did. Okay. Put you on the spot, but I'm gonna, I'm going to. All right. Do you know Penner's the store in San Antonio? Oh, judging by your look, you don't know. So I'm not Penner's. originally from San Antonio. I'm I know just... you're not, but you live there, right? <laughs> Penner's it's on oh. Uh, oh, uh, the main street in San Antonio. It starts with a C commons or what's the main street there in um... commerce. Commerce, Commerce heading west out of San Antonio. I know where that's at. Yeah, Commerce Street heading west. Penners. And they sell kind of guayaberas and some kind of, you know, the baggy pants, the Stacey Adams. I mean, it's where I bought my guayaberas when I was in San Antonio. And it sounds super familiar. I think this friend of mine, my friend Mo, I think every once in a while will get his stuff there because he wears it all the time. So, so now, now, now that now you have something to look forward to, you can see you exactly. Get, okay. So the last question, uh, tortillas de harina or maize? Oh my God. It depends. Okay. That's a, I'll allow it. <laughs> so if you're no, it depends. If I'm eating barbacoa, you got to go with harina. maize. Oh my no, really? It's always with maize. Always. Oh, Okay. Always. And then you, you put salsa and oh yeah, 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 yeah. Good. And just a little bit of salt. Um, if I eat chorizo and egg, it's my yeast. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's always my yeast. Right. But if it's anything else, it's, it's flour for sure. Interesting. So mom, this is so sidebar. 
That's okay. Mom makes a recipe. That's a good point. Mom (laughs) makes a recipe of sugar tortillas. They're not they're not buñuelos and they're not sopapillas. Okay. They're literally tortillas. Uh Just have sugar mixed in them. My mouth is watering. And so, so, as, mine. <laughs> so as kids we, growing up, mom would make that on Saturday. One, yeah. you know, we're poor. So it was cheap. Right, you know, right, so right, right. Flour, water. Yeah. We weighed a lot, but we ate tortillas <laughs> all the time. And so mom would, because there's four of us, right, kids. So we'd all line up and my brother, the oldest would line up first. And then we'd all line up in, in age. And she would take them off the comal and oh. then off to the side to to cool and clint always my oldest brother always ate it with peanut butter and banana so he would get peanut butter and yeah, slather yeah. It. that's what he everybody else we would stand in line get the sugar tortilla and slather butter on it eat it and then get back in line oh man oh they were so i've only made them once and they were so difficult they're sticky and yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. No, my but, mom oh my would God, make the so yeah. My mom would make the tortillas also uh, the flour, but she I don't remember her putting sugar sugar in them. To... Oh, it's a game changer. Oh, but she would make them. You put butter on them, and it was oh yeah oh. for sure. Oh my god! So that was a big running joke with us also growing up because we were you know we we grew up very poor. Yeah. Um, we would of course my mom thought it was super funny. She was like, you know, what what's for dinner? And she'd be like, tacos de aire. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, but even to this day, so my mom is in her mid-70s. I'm the youngest in the group. Tacos de aire. The siblings. And we still to this day joke about tacos de aire. I'll translate that in the show notes for my listeners that don't speak Spanish. Oh, I'm super hungry now. I think oh I'm my gosh, you're killing lunch. me! And you, well, you're in San Antonio. I, you know, we're here in actually. I, sh- I shouldn't. Brunswick, Georgia. Um, we have quite the um, Latino population, and it's yes. not just Mexicano. We have Hondureños, Colombianos, sure. uh, Puerto Rican. I mean, it's it's actually quite amazing the the uh, the, the the varied group of of Latinos. Um, but you know, we've got, uh, you know, a Mexican store, a Mexican restaurant and all sorts of stuff. So, so I have that. It's just not, it's, it's, it's just different because it's, you know, it's different part of the country. And well, I mean, even from here to the Valley, the restaurants in the Valley, we used to order, I'll never forget, man. It's been so long since I've been there, but we'd order a botana, which typically at any Mexican restaurant, right. Anna is an appetizer that has varied things on it, right, right? Right. Maybe some quesadillas and some nachos and flautas and all those little tiny finger foods. In the valley, when you order a botana, it's a presentation, right? And it will be like the main dish with, right. oh my god, a heart attack on a plate, yeah. like delicious, you yeah. know. Um, so even from here to there, even though it's you know three and a half hour drive or whatever, oh, it's different, yeah. Very different. Very different. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So Lali, where can people find you on social media? Where can we learn more about Swim Bike Run for Equality? So you can to- find Swim Bike Run for Equality online. Um, okay. We do a website, swimbikerunforequality.com. I think that's it. It's so new. It could be Swim Bike Run for Equality Foundation. I'm not real sure, but if you Google it, you'll find it. Okay. Um, you can find us um, on Facebook 
um, swim, bike, run for equality and um, ask to join the group. Okay. Um, again, it's a very safe space for us to have these types of sure. conversations and they're very important conversations. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram under lollycakes33. Random name. It was given to me by <laughs> marathon friend Michelle, but there you have it. Great. Well, and I'll include that all in the show notes um, with links to Swim, Bike, Run for Equality because I think it's it's a great effort and a great foundation that's doing things to really expose it. So we'll make sure we'll get we get the word to. out there. And um, I think that's it. So once again, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. This was great. Hopefully I'll, 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 I can entice you to come back and talk more about what you guys are doing or bring some of your other folks from Swim Bike. I would love, I think it would be really great to have everybody on. I think yeah. you know, each of us has a narrative that would be. Oh, I would love to. Yeah. I'd love to hear it. Um, and then to just talk about the updates that we're doing at the time, you know, we've got a couple of lines coming out um, as far as uh, merchandise goes. Oh, so cool. At that time. Yeah. yeah so asked about that super excited well and, I'm, I, and i want i want you back after you've completed all these half iron iron man that's not gonna be till october bro it's like that time <laughs> seriously i got one in october i got one in june one in september and then no i've got one this month i mean in april one in june one in september and one in october Fantastic. Well, good luck with the training. Good luck with Thank everything. You. And uh, we'll, we'll, follow, we'll, we'll keep following each other and, uh, you know, so that we can all cross the finish line, um, you know, victorious. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh,